This is the Labor Day Lord's Day, so we're here to worship our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the big holiday, right? Right before it, uh, it all ends, right? The summer's over, fall's here, snow's next week, right? In fact, we had a, a family camp uh, uh, over at uh, Trinity, what was it, four or five years, six years ago, and it snowed, I think, on Labor Day. I mean, it was a, it was a good snow, so I mean, you never know here in Wyoming. Uh, but, but the calendar shows us that uh, the weather will soon be changing. You know, I always thought it was somewhat ironic that we would celebrate labor by giving ourselves three or four days off. I mean, does that, does that sound like a disconnect for you that uh, we're going to celebrate labor in America by taking a three or four day holiday? Uh, what I want to do today is to look into God's Word. We're going to take a break from the book of Romans for this Sunday and see what it says about the subject of work. This is practical because our nation faces a declining work ethic. The country has historically been a hard-working nation with uh, postmodernism uh, in our midst. Uh, we've seen a declining attitude towards work and a work ethic. Several years ago, a Pew Research Center reported an article entitled Millennials, a Portrait of the Generation Next. And as they <clears throat> polled that generation, 61, 61% said their generation was unique in its identity. Uh, and this is how they define their uniqueness. And so for all you millennials, this is you. Uh, we like music and pop culture. We like liberal views on most matters. Uh, we like technology that marks us. Tolerance marks us. Our clothing marks us. And there's inter it's interesting, one of the things they did not put on their list of uniqueness is their desire to work. Uh, the same question, by the way, was posed several, several years before that to the baby boomers who were in the... Uh, 46 to 64 age group at the time, those, those over 65, and when asked what, what makes your generation unique, over 10% said our strong work ethic. And so you can see that one was off the radar and one was on the radar. Perhaps part of the problem in our country today could be that we have reached a tipping point where the country can actually, we can actually make more in this nation on, on social programs than you can by going out and working hard. According to the Cato Institute, recently someone uh, in New York could have earned, would have to earn $21 an hour to be better off than if they were availing themselves of all the social programs in New York City. And by the way, the $21 an hour, and this is just last year, was, was greater than the entry level, level salary for most teachers in many of the states in this country. So we're going to take a break from the book of Romans this, uh, this weekend. I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to see some good news. When God saves a lost soul, everything changes. When God's grace comes to a lost sinner, that person's life radically changes from the inside out. The old man, the person they were before Christ, uh, is, is, is dead. He's, he's a new person and, and a new creature in Christ. All things become new, including the way you walk and the, and the way you conduct yourself. 
In verse 17, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. And so today we see this transforming work in, in many areas, but it also, even in the area of work and your vocation in this life. Maybe you didn't think flipping burgers was a big deal spiritually, but it is in God's eyes. Maybe you didn't think punching the, the clock as you go to work uh, next, next, this, this week is a spiritual matter, but it is. You know, to Luther, work and your vocation in life was a matter of worship. Your, your work and, and your vocation in life was, was one of the means that God has given you to bring glory to his name. And so we see, for example, with Bach, for example, in, in, uh, in pinning many of his, of his great music, signed it SDG, for, for the glory of God alone. He understood that, that everything we do, whatever work we, we were involved in, what, whatever our vocation in this world, it's for the purpose of glorifying God in every area of our life. But as we're going to see today, the place of work is actually a sanctuary. I mean, your, your, your office, your shop, your business, your home... Is, is, is a sanctuary where believers, as a believer, you gather, and I'm going to worship God as I work this day faithfully. It has a divine purpose behind it in God's kingdom. So Paul covers the subject of work from the, from the negative as well as the positive in this passage we're going to look at this morning in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. You're going to see in today's verse that uh, there's three commandments that, that Paul squeezes into just one verse. There's two from the Decalogue, and there's also one that we see which is the greatest commandment of all, to love your neighbor as, as yourself. In other words, a transformed life is a life of the Christian where he has a new walk, and that new walk works its way right into the time clock, right into the place of work. And so I'm going to break this verse down this morning into just basically three headings. From larceny to labor for liberal giving. It's all there. That's God's purpose for working this side of glory. The transformed life is a life that obeys the Eighth Commandment. Turns away from stealing. Turns away from a life of larceny. And so we see in 428 that Paul introduces that verse by saying... Let the thief no longer steal. One of the marks of the old man, that is the person you were before Christ, is, is by your very fallen nature, you were given over to stealing from other people. Uh, here Paul is more than likely referring to Christians at, at Ephesus before they came to faith in Christ and now carrying over some of that practice into their current Christian life. Many of us would fit into the category if you look back before Christ. You look back before you, God saved you by his grace. Something radically changed. Back then, every one of us in this room, I believe, I don't think I'm overstating the case, stole from somebody at some time. So it's speaking to all of us that way. But then we came to Christ and something wonderful happened and he forgave us of all of our sins. We repented of all of our of our our desire to, to steal, 
And even though we're new creatures in Christ, we're still in Romans 7. Remember, we just left that. And we're still with the Apostle Paul. And there's still a war going on inside of us. And the things we don't want to do, we do, and, and vice versa. And so here we are battling this life out. And even though we stole before we came to faith in Christ, there's some of us who, who perhaps are struggling in the area of, of taking that which doesn't belong to us today into our Christian life. For those who used to steal, the tempter will come to us this way. Go ahead. You've got needs that need to be met, and God promises to meet your needs, so therefore, help yourself. Here's an opportunity. You deserve it. Nobody will find out. Nobody will know. Mixing up the books, changing of numbers. Besides, you are under grace, and God will forgive you, and it's all good. And so the tempter comes to us like that. And what Paul is doing in this verse is saying, listen, we're new creatures in Christ. We're walking down a pathway of holiness. And that pathway of holiness is one that's where we stop stealing. We don't fall back into our old ways. Stealing must have been uh, widespread back in the day with the Apostle Paul, back in the day at, at Ephesus. Uh, it was very common for slavery back in Rome and, and up into Ephesus to, uh, to include slaves that would take from their masters. There's a whole book in the Bible that really is ascribed to that where, where you have uh, Philemon and the slave whose name was Onesimus stealing from his master, breaking away and taking off. And, and, then, and then by the grace of God, he gets saved, and, and God confronts him with the gospel, and he becomes a new creature in Christ, and he meets the apostle Paul. And part of his repentance, I'm sure, was I'm not going to steal anymore by the help of God. And he send, sends him back to Philemon, who was also a believer in Christ. And in verse 18, it says that uh, of uh, Philemon, he says, by the way, if he has any debt, I'll take care of it. Paul says, I'll pay his debt. If he stole anything from you, I'll repay you back myself. But Paul also knew that slaves didn't have a, a corner on the market of stealing. It's safe to say that everyone at some point in time in the church of Ephesus stole. I don't think I'd be overstating it to say that all of us, everyone in this room at some point in our life has taken something. And he said, wait a minute, Don, now you're going a little overboard. You're being a little bit exaggerating it too much. For I, I don't think I've ever stole anything in my life. Some of you young people, you know, have you ever taken a coin off a of dad's dresser? 50 cents, 25 cents, a dollar bill. The word steal here is, is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word klepto. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And so you put maniac after it, and you know you, have, you got it all there. You're kleptomania. You steal. The unlawful taking of another person's property. You know, you might think of the stereotypical way people steal. They, they rob one another. They, they, they pickpocket one another. Uh, but it's not always putting a mask over your face and breaking into a store and stealing that way. It's interesting, you go to the, Heide the Heidelberg Catechism is helpful in this area because what it does, it summarizes some of the many, many ways that you can be stealing and maybe not even know that you're breaking the Eighth Commandment. 
It says we can rob our neighbor. We can take our neighbor's possession. Number two, or, or, or we can show of right as an unjust weights and measures and, and wares and false coins. And so you can give counterfeit money. You can put your thumb on the scale. You can sell a car and say that it's, it was this, but it really was that. And it has this many miles, but it only has that many miles. He said that you can appear righteous by cheating. Leviticus 19.35. You can mix flour and sugar, it says, you, you, and chaff with, with grain. You can have counterfeit coins that pretend to be the real thing. You can charge exorbitant uh, uh, interest rates and usury. And the Bible speaks of being usurious and in, in, in charging two people too much interest, stealing from them. Now today, if you haven't noticed, stealing is on the rise in this nation. Uh, it, it, it's growing. In fact, I would say it's rampant today. It's, it's all over the, the news. Shoplifting. One of the biggest problems facing retailers today is shoplifters. People come into the store and steal, smash and grab. Mobs that run into a building and they, I mean, they're grabbing things, filling up paper bag or plastic bags, walking off with colored TV sets, breaking into jewelry stores, putting all the jewelry in the bags, running out the door. All happens in two minutes and they're gone. see this with young people who often like to steal just for the thrill of stealing. Not that they need anything. See if they can get away with it. Just the rush of taking something that is forbidden is, is a sin against God. See, well, Don, how widespread is shoplifting in America today? Let me give you a statistic. Organized retail theft is huge. It's $65 billion loss every year in America alone. And stores are shutting their doors all over America because the theft rate is so high. CVS announced that it was going to close 900 retail stores because of losses from shoplifting. Walgreens announced that they would close five locations in San Francisco alone because of rampant shoplifting across the city. And we have technology today, so we have new ways of stealing. We can steal someone's identity. We can steal software. We, we, we can steal music that belongs to other people on the Internet. And as the technology changes, there's just no end to the ways that man can take the Eighth Commandment and turn it into a sin. I mean, identity theft alone in America is, is $56 billion a year. It's a huge, huge problem. But, you know, it's important for us to know that ultimately when, when a person steals, yes, they're stealing from others, but, you know, they're ultimately stealing from God. I mean, what do you own? Well, I've got a pink slip on my car. I've got a deed to my house. But ultimately, do you really own those things? I mean, God owns everything, doesn't he? I mean, if, if God gives you a house, he's, he's loans that house to you for whatever period of time you get to use it. If you have a car that you say, well, I own. No, really, God owns your car. And uh, he's loaned that to you. And so whenever you take something that belongs to someone else, ultimately, since everything is owned by God, you're stealing from God. Malachi tells us that even in, in our robbing of God by, by not giving of our tithes and offerings to God, 
We're nothing more than temporary students or, 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 or stewards over whatever God's given us. So what drives someone to steal? Well, there's many reasons. I mean, obviously a selfish heart would be, at the, at the, it'd be prime motive for, for stealing. An entitlement mentality that I, I'm entitled to what belongs to someone else. Greed, jealousy, pride are all part of it. But what we're going to look at here in this Labor Day, what I want us to see is that Paul now brings the remedy for stealing. He says, don't steal anymore. You're new creatures in Christ. God has redeemed you from that old way of, of sinful living. You're walking down the pathway of righteousness. And so now I want you to, to change from a life of larceny to a life of labor. And that's what we're going to look at. The verse goes on to say, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So you don't steal anymore now that you're in Christ. And now that you're in Christ, you do what? You labor. Doing honest work with your own hands. That's the mandate. That's the call of God. That's the pathway of holiness. So salvation brings all kinds of new attitudes, new, new ways of living, new ways of walking. So rather than thinking I'm going to get something for nothing, I'm going to work for what I get. That, that, that's God's purpose. That's why Paul adds working with his own hands. And I believe there he's saying that instead of using your own hands to steal or to pickpocket, take your hands and put them to the, to, to the mill and begin to work and work hard, work faithfully. And uh, so this takes us from our obedience to the Eighth Commandment to the obedience of the Fourth Commandment. Stop disobeying God, the Eighth Commandment, in the area of stealing, but now be faithful to God in the area of the Fourth Commandment of working. Thou shalt not steal turns into thou shalt labor. Now maybe you thought labor, some of you thought labor was a curse of God. One of the things that God did when, when, he, when he cursed man and he cursed the land was he, he, he cursed us that we have to go, now go out and work. But did you realize or do you realize that work is actually something that God has given you from creation? This goes back to the creation ordinance, the creation mandate itself. This has always been God's plan for us in creating us that we be hard workers. Uh, as you go back to creation, God created Adam, He created Eve, uh, you might think they were a couple of hippies in the garden there, and they were just kind of walking around and picking fruit and laying Oh, wow, look at the creation. And that, that was life in the garden. But that was not life in the garden. Life in the garden was a life of work. It was a life of labor. Uh, if you go back to Genesis, one of the, one of the, one of the very purposes that we see in Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image, and after our likeness. And so as image bearers of God, God himself being a worker, he's not a passive God, he's an active God, God himself being a, we were created in his image. He labored for six days in creating the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day was a day of what? A day of rest. And we see that that command carries over into the, new, into the, into the Decalogue itself, where, where six days we are to labor and the seventh day is a day of rest. In Genesis, he writes, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and, 
and, uh, and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over the creepy things that, that creep on the earth. So, so, Adam, take dominion. Take rule over all the things that I have made. Implied in that is really an act, an active working and laboring. Verse 28, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea. And so we see that, uh, I believe God, from God's perspective, Adam was a very busy, industrious, hardworking man prior to the fall. And as, as mankind would spread and as children would come into the, into the picture, as they were actually ultimately booted out of the garden, now they're building roads, they're making cities. I mean, things, you know, we have to go out and we have to labor to provide for ourselves. In Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, what did, they, what did they do? Do you ever wonder what, what Adam did in the garden to work? I mean, what, what was his job? Woke up in the morning and clock in, you know, and so here I am, God. I'm clocking in for the day. What would he do? Um, well, I, let's put on our sanctified imagination just for a minute and think what God would see as, as Adam and Eve were working prior to, prior to the fall. I believe he's busy. He's active. He's, uh, there's fruit. There's vegetables everywhere. They have to be harvested. Uh, food had to be prepared and cooked, or, or if it wasn't cooked, it was somehow made available to eat in such a, a good way. And uh, food would have to be not only prepared, but uh, there'd be culinary skills from, from uh, Eve. Maybe Eve was a kind of person who liked flower arrangements, you know, and maybe she would pick the beautiful flowers and arrange them for, for her and her husband. The labor was hard. We know he was about cataloging and he was identifying all the animals and all the, the vegetables. He must have had, had some way of, of, of recording all of this down. as he, That was his job, giving names. And then we see a God coming then later on reaffirming this creation ordinance to all of mankind in Exodus 29 where he says, here it is, six days thou shalt work. And the seventh day will be a day of rest. Labor and diligent work is not, is not a curse. It's part of God's creative plan for all of our lives. The law of rest has little meaning unless you have the law of work right before it. Unless there's six days of work, the law of rest really means very, very little. So the affirmative command, the sixth commandment is that, or the fourth commandment is that six days we shall work. Can you just think about the number of painful events, painful heartache that has come into people's lives from violating this command to faithfully labor for six days. Just read through the Proverbs. Story, you know, proverb after proverb, we see uh, warnings, what happens to those who do not work, those who are lazy. It produces poverty, breaks up families. 
Uh, it brings sin into a person's life. It opens up to temptation. I mean, we're not diligent. We're not about what God has called us to do. On top of that, just being disobedient to our Lord. See, sin brought curses to Adam. And the curses were on the, upon the, on the land. In, in Genesis 3.17, it said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife... And you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of, all, of it all the days of your life. And so what we have here is the curse is upon the land so that the labor is not going to be like the labor it was in the garden. This labor now is going to be labor that is going to be burdensome. It's going to be making sweat and it's hard. And, and we're, we're actually doing all that we can to overcome the effects of the curse and the fall in our life. By the sweat of your face, you're going to be countering a fallen environment. And so the Proverbs are, just, again, full of strong work ethic, strong calls to uh, condemn the, the life of a sluggard. Now, by the way, Proverbs chapter 6. Every one of you young people should know that one. 6-6, six, six. and he says, especially you young ones, go to the ant. Get down on your hands and knees. Look at that little bug crawling along on the floor. He has a sermon for you, and listen to what, it's, what he's saying to you. And so you do. You look at the ant, and you see, wow, they're industrious. I mean, you ever see an ant this big, and he picks something this big up, and he's walking around with this thing on his back? How do they do that? Or you leave one crumb in the kitchen and they're in the backyard. How do they know how to start this colony all the way to your kitchen? And then how do they get the message back to the others? And they all follow in line. And they're just taking the crumbs and, and moving them out and putting them in the ground. Storing them up. Because you're going to need them. You know, and from that, uh, from that proverb, it goes on to say, and how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and then poverty will come upon you like a robber, and what, like an armed man. So the command is to work, and the command is to work hard. You see this in the New Testament, Second Thessalonians 3.16. Uh, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. In other words, if you have a disorderly brother in the body of Christ, stay away from him. You say, well, what, what, what is a disorderly brother? Is he committing adultery? He might be. Is he a fornicator? Yes, he might be. But that's not what he's pointing to here. He's saying the disorderly brother that I'm talking about is the one that won't work. He's the one who's lazy. He wants you to feed him. Those who are idle and, and want to be taken care of. Verse 7, he says to the Thessalonians, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle, Paul says, when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone else's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor and work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. 
It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. And you know this command, don't you? If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. We know that. That's how important this is. So the disorderly brother who's in the, in the church, if he doesn't work, neither shall he eat. And that's why in this passage we're looking at in Ephesians, he goes on to say that, yes, we're to labor and doing work with our own hands, honest work. Uh, some of your translations uh, would, would, would say good work. The word agathos there is, it literally means good in, in quality. Don't just go in and, you know, clock in, clock out. But when you're there for eight hours, nine hours, ten hours, whatever it is you're working, do quality work. Work that glorifies God. God's will is more than that you just work and keep busy. He wants you to do it well and to His honor and glory. I had a man quite a few years ago who, uh, back in the day when cable TV first came out, he owned the cable distribution for the whole city. And he realized that to be the, the owner and the manager of the cable company for our city, he had to carry pornography. There had to be pornographic channels that were on the, on, on, on the uh, cable TV system. And he resigned. He resigned. He says, you know, I, I, what I do is for the glory of God. Yeah, I, I own the cable company, but under the contracts, I have to carry out pornography. I'm not going to do it anymore. And so he wanted to do it for, for, for good, for the honest work, working with his own hands. That's, that means whatever you do, to the best of your ability. Don't be a man pleaser. Don't be the guy who's always, uh, you know, has to have the boss looking at him to work hard. But, but you're working hard for, for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so remember the command here is that six days you shall work, one day is a day of rest. And he's designed you to be active, productive, and working hard. And this is how you glorify God. So this is a ministry. You know, say, well, what's your ministry? Well, I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I'm going to the sanctuary of the office. I'm going to the sanctuary of the shop. I'm going to the sanctuary of wherever, the house, wherever I'm working. And this isn't just a command to husbands, by the way, or to men. This is also a command to the ladies of the church as well. I mean, it could be that you're working hard uh, outside the, the home. The Proverbs 31 woman, she's working hard, selling property. But also Titus 2 says that, that a woman, a housewife, should be one who is a, a worker, a worker at home. And so if you're working at home, and, the, and the, that's the sphere in which you're exercising your vocation and calling by God, work hard. It isn't like staying home and watching, you know, bonbons and watching, you know, soap operas. It, it's a life of being diligent as a wife. In, in working for the glory of God. And why is it six days? Why do we work six days? I think it's just to remind us we're not to be idle. You know, the Puritan Richard, Richard Baxter uh, wrote a big, thick book called Christian Directory. By the way, if you ever get a... It's out of print, but if you ever get a, 
uh, a copy of that, grab it, because uh, any question you can think about in the Christian life, somehow Baxter must have had a lot of time on his hands because he would think of the questions, write them down, and give a little biblical answer for every question. I have gone to that book in, in my library and tried to find answers to questions that I thought, oh, he, did, he didn't do this one. I know he didn't ask this one and answer it, and sure enough, there it is. But one of the questions you'll find in, in uh, Baxter's uh, Christian directory is 10 reasons why you should work. In other words, the question is, why should you labor? Why should you work? And then he gives 10 reasons. I'm only going to give five. He goes on. There's five more after this. He said the first one's pretty simple. God commanded it. But that should settle it right there. God commanded that we work. This is his his will for our life. Secondly, he says, uh, because it's a preservation of the faculty of the mind. In other words, if you leave your mind unexercised and you become lazy in your life, your mind goes. But if you're working hard and, and you're engaged in, in whatever work God has given you to do, it's keeping your mind alive and, and your faculties alive. They don't decay as much. Thirdly, he says, it's needful for health and life. In other words, if you're going to preserve your health, usually work. If you want, if you want to be provided for and have the necessities of life, work. Fourthly, he says it keeps the mind upon the lawful em employment. Uh, the idle are those who are more subject to temptation. Remember David? When he's up on the rooftop checking things out, sees Bathsheba, where should he have been? He was idle, wasn't he? But he should have been out what? With the kings. He ought to have been out with the troops. He ought to have been out laboring. But that idle time, he shut down and he was, he was tempted and led into sin. How many who are, are, are lazy, who stay home, who play video games, who don't leave the house, who sit home and are idle and are lazy and don't work, are given over to the temptation of sin? Fifthly, he says, it's the ordinary means where God supplies our daily bread. And so the way God supplies our daily bread is by us working, not someone else providing it for us. Parents, this is something you should teach your children. Your children, the word, where they're going to learn a work ethic, a biblical work ethic, and learn a biblical vocation is to have it not only modeled but taught in the home. Because in our society, they're not going to learn it there. Everything in our society is upside down. We live in a society today, and you know this, where, where, where idleness is the virtue of the day. Not working is the virtue, and, uh, and work is to be avoided at all costs. I mean, I've talked to young people that, uh, that I know very well, and, and they say, you know what I want to do? I want to retire when I'm 40 years old. I'm working hard. I want to retire at 40. Why in the world would you want to retire at 40? What are you going to do? I mean, you've got to work, right? That's what God created you for. Be busy. Because God has designed you to be active, productive, to give you health, strength, provide your needs. You know, we've got to reject the common salutation of our day that says, we say to each other, by the way, don't work too hard. Or, hey, take it easy. That's just the opposite of what the Bible teaches. We're to work hard. 
And, you know, it means we're going to, it might include not just taking it easy all the time. Now, there's one last heading under this verse we're looking at, and that is why we are to work, why we are not to steal anymore. You might be surprised by Paul's answer in verse 28. And I put it under the third heading, which is to liberally give to others in need. He says, so that we may have something to share with anyone in need. So you stop stealing, you begin working so that you make money, so that you can give to other people who have needs. That's the pattern of God in the area of labor, of laboring and working. Whereas Paul has described the transformed life as a life of working, it's a means of supplying the needs for other people. There are those who, because of their circumstances, because of the provident, providential workings of God in their life, they're unfit or unable to provide for themselves. And we know such people. There's people with physical disabilities that require, they can't work. They need help. There's those who uh, are advanced in age and can no longer work or carry out a 40-hour-a-week work. They're in need. They're widows. There's widows that have great needs because they no longer have a husband to provide for them. There's orphans who are on the street in various parts of the world who are selling gum or somehow unable for someone to provide for them. There are those who want to work but find themselves in periods of transition and unemployment. There are those who are self-employed and willing to work and trying to work hard, but because of the circumstances, their business is maybe not yet at that point where it can provide for them. There's farmers whose crops get destroyed by hail. There's ranchers whose herds get struck by disease. And there's need for help. There's always those around us, especially those in the body of Christ, who, who have needs and uh, are not slothful. But they have needs. And that's why we have a fund here as part of our budget to provide for the needs of the body. And with, when your gifts come in, they go back out again to those who have needs in our body. I mean, we had a, a family, was it last year, where the, the house blew away. They didn't have a house anymore. Same family, the house burned down. Now they don't have a house again anymore. And so this is, uh, there, there's always these kind of needs that are around. Katrina, hurricanes, earthquakes, people in need, being, have the body of Christ there generously giving. And what Paul is saying here is, is really radical. It's looking at work in a completely different way than the way we normally look at work. We're looking at it through the lens of a new covenant believer. And typically we think of work, this is where we go, we earn money, we, we pay our bills, and if there's any leftover, we buy toys. There's something like that. I mean, we add to ourselves somehow. Uh, but this is more, this is a liberating teaching. This is really actually a thrilling teaching because it challenges that way of looking at your life. Most of us have been raised to think that we work to get. We work to pay our necessities. And we, if anything's left over, we just build barns and add toys and fill the barns up with more toys. And the toys get bigger and they get more expensive as life goes on. Our motive for working is not to amass wealth, 
although God might provide that. But our motive is so that we can give and give to those in need. Now, this is revolutionary. I don't know about you, but when you start thinking this way and working your Christian life out this way through this lens, this is absolutely revolutionary. It takes the whole focus off yourself and puts your focus on loving others. And your job becomes a place of working out grace in others' life. So what we have here is Paul saying no more stealing uh, in the service of illegal greed. He's saying no more working for legal greed, but now everything is for the service of others and for grace, not greed at all. Now, by the way, I just want you to know this is not some isolated teaching, just one verse of the Bible. This principle is taught over and over and over again in the Scriptures. It might seem like a foreign idea to you, but there's other, there's other passages. Uh, to the rich, Paul writes in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich, now, how many rich are here today? See, we don't raise our hand, do we? But every one of us probably in this room should raise our hand by the world's standard, we are wealthy people. We have houses and air conditioners and two or three TV sets and Bibles in every, every room of the house. And you look around and we've got mowers that we get on and ride around in. And I mean, we have one car, two cars, three cars. You know, I, I heard a, a couple talking after church recently and they said, well, wh- which house are we going to after church? And I'm going, well, who talks that way? Well, only in, this, in the first world country. We're, we're rich by the world's standards, even though we don't feel like we are. But as for the rich, Paul says, that's all of us, in this present age, and we are, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Verse 19, thus storing up for treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Storing up for yourself what? Riches in heaven, eternal riches. And then in life in the church, if you begin to see life in the church flushed out amongst us, It's carrying out this principle within the body of Christ. We see in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. For they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and they're distributing to everyone who had need in the body of Christ. You see this with Paul in in, in Miletus as he was talking to the elders there. Very tearful uh, farewell. And Acts 20, verse 33 says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in the way we must help the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to than to receive. So here we are, brothers and sisters, saved by the grace of God. 
Oh, Lord has done a wonderful work transforming our hearts, changing us from what we were to what he, He's purposing us to be. We look at the Lord as our example and what a blessing we have received from Him. By His salvation, our old man has died. By His salvation, we are a new creature in Christ. We are no more the way we were before God saved us. We, we've been delivered. And so now He's calling us to be free of larceny for the purpose of to labor, for the purpose of for liber for liberal giving to others. Now, those of you here today, this, this, this Labor Day, Lord's Day, you might find yourself here in church without Christ. Maybe all of what we've been talking about seems very foreign to you, definitely contrary to the culture that you're a part of right now. I don't know if you've ever seen yourself as a breaker of the Eighth Commandment, one who takes things that belong to other people. That's a sin against God. It's one of the sins we must give an account for in, in, as we see Jesus face to face as judge. Perhaps you've made excuses for stealing, made excuses for taking something that doesn't belong to you. Well, you know, Robin Hood did the same thing. After all, when you're taking it from the rich, we're going to give it to the poor. That's okay. I'm going to justify it. But whenever you break God's law, that law or any other law, it's a sin against God. And where every one of us in this room are going to have to give an eternal account for the sins in our life. But then comes the gospel. Then comes Christ. He invades time and space. And just at that point in time and day, He comes into this world, the Son of the living God, to take upon Himself the judgment, the wrath that you and I deserved, and in doing so, purchase for us not only forgiveness, but everlasting life. He delights in saving people who steal. He loves to save, save thieves. I mean, wh where was he nailed? One here and one here, between two thieves, breaking the Eighth Commandment. One mocked him, the other what? Believed in him. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So if you're here today without Christ, I would call you to Christ. I would call you to come to Christ. I would call you to forsake your wicked ways and call you to see what Christ has done. Quit trying to save yourself. Quit trying to work your way to heaven and simply bow at His feet and trust Him alone and His grace to save And then begin to walk. Walk in the pathway of, of life. Let the thief steal no, no more. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Work hard. Delight in the work that God has given you to do. You know, not everyone is privileged enough to be able to select exactly what they want to do in their life. And some people spend their whole life trying to figure out what they should do and they never do anything. But whatever labor God has given you, that is your labor. Whatever work, if you're flipping burgers today at McDonald's, then, then that's where God puts you, and you're flipping burgers for the glory of God. But work hard and be diligent. This is how you glorify God in this life. And by the way, this is how you glorify God six days of the week. 
working hard. Let us never forget the radical purpose for our work. It's not to get, but to give. And to have our hands out, be willing to freely give to those around us so that He may have something to share with anyone in need. And this means that you should have a this practical application. I think Tim might agree with this. So in, in your family budget, <laughs> have a line on there somewhere in your family budget for giving to others. I'm not talking about to the church necessarily, although you can, that's one way it can be distributed out. But have, have something budgeted, showing that you're willing and you, you desire to help others in need. I had a good friend over in, in Powell who, who put every week $50 in his pocket cash. And he prayed every day during that week. He prayed, God, show me where it should go. And it might have been a waitress one day. It might have been someone who did some work for him. It might have been someone he saw on the street. But he always looked and prayed for a way to give out that $50 every week to help someone he felt was in need. It's not planned for you to, to, to be idle. You work to give. So as we close this morning, we're looking at Labor Day through uh, really redeemed eyes. And we're looking at Labor Day through the eyes of a of, of New Covenant believer. And as we see today, Labor Day is six days a week. Labor Day is six days a week, every week. And it's for the glory of God. And today, we're not laboring anymore. This is God's done all the labor. And so this is our day of rest. This is the Lord's Day, this is the Christian Sabbath, and this is the day that we break loose of all the busyness of the week, and we focus on Him and all that He's done. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word, and thank You, Lord, for reminding us of the holy vocation You've given us in Christ. Oh, Lord, we, we look around at a culture today that just is thumbing its nose at all that you purposed us to be. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be shaped by that culture, but be shaped by your word and by your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would help us see that uh, our vocation is, is a holy vocation. It's a God-glorifying vocation. Lord, I pray you would help us to be, by your grace, generous people, ones who have received freely from you are willing to freely give to others. And Lord, we believe that's through that you will receive all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. This whole sermon. Remember Vic? Yeah. So here's a guy who was saved later in life out of a Roman Catholic background. And he, wore, he, was a C, he was CPA, Tim. He was CPA, did well, had his own practice. And uh, God just, whatever he did, just seemed to turn to gold. I mean, it always, money just flowed into him. And so he purposes as a new Christian to start giving it out. And it seemed like the more that he gave out, the more that he got. And, it wasn't, and that wasn't his motive. That's, that's, that's prosperity gospel. That wasn't his motive. His motive was just to give. 
And then God gave more so he could give more. And he drove this old, remember, this old uh, Chrysler Cordoba, these big, you know, parade float kind of cars. And uh, it was probably 10 years old. And uh, he could have, he could have drove a, a new Mercedes. Probably could have had a Lamborghini if he wanted one, you know. He lived in a modest house. He could have had the best house in town. But he wanted to give. And uh, he would come into my office. This was, I was an attorney then. I wasn't uh, a pastor. He'd come into my office and he would just uh, always have new ways of giving. Finally, he says, you know, I've been giving cars. I've been giving, I mean, chunks of money. And he said, uh, I can't give it out fast enough. And they always know that it's me who's giving it. Can you make a foundation for me uh, legally so that I can be, give the funds out to all these people without... I mean, he, he built a, sh a soup kitchen in town for those who did not have food. And, uh, and then one day he said, Don, I said, I, I realize that sacrificial Christian life, it's so easy for me to give money. But the hardest thing for me to give is my time. So not only am I going to give to the soup kitchen, but I'm going to go down and work at the soup kitchen. That was a bigger sacrifice for him. But he just stood out to me as a man who had the gift of giving, understood the, the purpose of being industrious, and always willing to help someone in time of need, and how God richly blessed him. Uh, what an example he was to our church back in those days. Anyway, that's just a little extra PS. Uh, as we worship the Lord this morning, let's, uh, let, let's bow our heads. What I'd like to do is just spend a few minutes in quiet meditation on the Word, its application in our life. And then we'll join together and sing our next hymn.